Hello, and welcome to Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. My name is Henry, and I work in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. It's September, and for many countries, that means going back to school. But of course, the start of this academic year faces serious challenges and complications due to the continuing coronavirus crisis. Before the summer break, schools all over the world were forced to close. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about what lessons we learned from the coronavirus school closures and whether or not these will have an impact on the future of education. Namely, what will 21st century schooling be like in a post-COVID world? To talk about this, I'm very pleased to be joined via teleconference by Roberto Benes, Director of Generation Unlimited. Hello, Roberto. Hello, thank you for having me. And also joining us is Wendy Kopp, CEO and co-founder of Teach for All. Hi, Wendy. Hi, excited to be here. And finally, Andreas Schleicher. Andreas, thank you for joining. Yes, hi, and thanks for hosting us. So. This crisis launched students everywhere into, into a totally new way of schooling. Um, Roberto, I want to come to you first. Do you think that this generation of students were prepared for it? And, and were they more prepared than previous generations would have been? Well, in short, no. And, and the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, I mean, we, we know from, from, from the latest figures, some one billion learners across the planet have been affected by school closures due to the pandemic. And we all know how this pandemic has, uh, has magnified the inequality within countries and across countries. And, and what we saw is that some governments, of course, responded with the rapid deployment of uh, remote learning policies, but also the pandemic put a spotlight on pre-existing disparities faced by the most disadvantaged learners. No? So this is something that is of utmost concern. Uh, we know from UNICEF data that one in three school children globally was unable to access remote learning when their school uh, closed, you know, and, and, and we also know that uh, we have uh, uh, some 23.8 million additional children and youth that may drop out or not have access to school next year due to the pandemic economic impact alone. So all in one, considering what was the situation pre uh, COVID and what is the magnifying effect of COVID, uh, we can say that uh, um, we were not prepared, especially this generation of students was not prepared. And, and I also appreciated the, the, the recent uh, OECD analysis on the long-term implication and the concern of school disengagement of, uh, of students from the school system. But again, uh, what is important is the opportunity that comes from here, the sense of urgency for leadership, innovation, and the partnership that we can create together. No, I mean, this podcast, this conversation is an example of how it's important now to get together and rethink, reimagine education. So this should really enhance uh, our efforts uh, and enhance work-based learning, strengthening ties with private sector, reimagining education overall. Roberto, you mentioned leadership there. I, I want to bring it over to Wendy with that. Wendy, what kind of leadership capacity do you think we need to help education systems cope with crises like these? And, and how can we generate it? Mm, yes, we, we've really seen, I and mean, we talk a lot about the technology divide in this era, but we've seen that 
at least as significant is the kind of leadership divide, meaning, you know, kids who have access to, to people around them, teachers, school leaders, parents, and others who are exerting leadership to keep them learning has made really all the difference, irrespective of their access to technology. Um, we, we think about the kind of leadership we need as collective leadership, meaning, you know, people at every level of the education system and really of policy and around the whole ecosystem around kids. Um, you know, I've been really inspired by the leadership I've seen people all across, teachers and alumni educators across the Teach for All network exert to keep kids learning during this time, you know, whether their kids had access to technology or not. So, you know, I think about the, you know, teachers in Nigeria who approached the state government, Nogan State, and said, can we take over the radio station um, so that we can deliver lessons and keep kids learning since it was the only way to reach kids? And others across our network who heard that story and did the same thing with their governments or, you know, even teachers in remote parts of Uganda who went to the mayor and said, please make an announcement that I can help kids keep learning if they come by my house, pick up learning packets every day and bring them back. Um, who's kept, you know, dozens of kids learning that way without any access to technology, you know, all the way to, to countries with, with far more technology bandwidth, like the UK, where a whole bunch of Teach First alums came together under the leadership of Matt Hood to create Oak Academy, um, which has made, you know, I think on its first day, 250,000 lessons were accessed. And I think by a few months later, it was something like 17 million. So just a way to like completely accelerate the degree to which um, we're leveraging technology to, to keep kids learning. Even, even there, it was all about teacher leadership and, and leadership and innovative leadership and making it happen. So I guess the whole circumstance just kind of brought to life the importance of making a really intentional effort to cultivate the leadership capacity that proved so vital, is always vital, honestly, but was just visibly vital in this era to keep to keep kids learning. And, and that's the work that Teach for All alongside others are doing, you know, when we're aggressively recruiting people, you know, who may have all sorts of different academic majors and career interests to say, channel your energy into ensuring that the rising generation of young people are prepared to shape a better future for themselves and all of us. Um, because really, whether we meet any of our aspirations is, is dependent on that. And then that really invests in the cultivation and development of those, those leaders over time so that they, they can really reinvent the system, which is, is what we need. Yeah, there were so many, so many interesting stories of how education systems coped and all the continuity stories of how teachers and schools carried on learning. Um, Andreas, with that in mind, with what happened and what school systems had to go through, what in your mind is, is the major lesson learned for education from this crisis? Yeah, you know, I think the most significant lesson perhaps is that Learning is not a place, but an activity. You know, students who have learned how to learn, who have that agency, that hunger for learning, who have the supportive ecosystems around them, you know, parents included who have access to uh, good technology and innovative learning environments. You know, for them, this experience may have been liberating and exciting, you know, so much more interesting to learn that way than to sit in a classroom. But for the many young children who used to be 
spoon-fed by their teachers, you know, who did not have uh, the support at home or not have the teacher reaching out to them who had no access to modern technology during this time. They have just been very, very badly left behind. But sort of thinking more about learning, more about the kind of uh, uh, <clears throat> institutions, I think, is, is really, really key. The second point I think students will take away from this crisis is, you know, who were the teachers who reached out to me, you know, when I was alone in front of a computer at home or at best, uh, who understood my dreams and my passions? Now, that learning is not a transactional business, now, but learning is always a relational business. If you think about the last 10, 15 years, sort of, we've tended to commodify education. Students have tended to become consumers, teachers, service providers, parents, clients, and it's created a distance between all of the actors. And I think this crisis has actually brought education again to the center. It has made education a whole of society enterprise. Yeah, once again, you know, the parents have understood, you know, what learning looks like. They have understood the hard work that teachers do every day. And I do think that's something I think that uh, is very significant. And the last element, I would just echo what Wendy just said. I think this idea of leadership and capacity at the front line. Uh, school systems that were, you know, organized, very hierarchical, very industrial they had a hard time. They even now have a hard time coping with this virus. But school systems that do have a lot of leadership capacity, you know, leadership, you know, among teachers, leadership at the system level, uh, leadership at the school level, uh, they were able to adapt, to cope, to respond locally rather than, you know, going through blind kind of lockdowns. Um, so I think that's those elements together. You know, I think those are big lessons I would take away from this. Wendy mentioned a minute ago things like uh, radio replacing teaching. We've heard other stories about television doing the same. And of course, there's online platforms that can serve for that. Andreas, do you think any of the innovations that, that schools and teachers and parents came up with in the crisis will be brought forward and used again post-crisis? And, and if so, should they? Uh, and is it likely that it'll happen? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, you know, I wouldn't say that actually, you know, anywhere in the world, television or radio or computers replaced teachers. In fact, I think the opposite has happened. You know, technology has amplified the work of great teachers, but never replaced, you know, poor teaching, poor leadership. In a way, I think it has shown how important the human capacity is in education. But clearly, you know, uh, what we have seen in the last six months in the form of, you know, technological innovation, social innovation, uh, a lot of this is going to stay. In fact, you know, we conducted a survey, the OECD and Harvard University, on how uh, education systems see their future. And you could see only 20% of the education systems aiming to get back to where they came from. Most education systems, and the majority of education systems, for example, see hybrid learning as a new normal. And that's going to be a huge challenge for teachers because uh, it means that as a teacher, you know, you have to become a really creative designer of innovative learning environments. You have to think which student is learning in what way best and how do I complement learning in the virtual space with learning in the classroom setting. I think it's going to be hugely shifting 
the role of teachers going beyond, you know, being a great instructor to becoming a great mentor, a great coach, a great, you know, facilitator, a great evaluator. So I do think, and I, I, I would expect, you know, that you will have many young people who go back to their teachers after this crisis and say, well, you know, listen, I've learned how to learn. I've discovered so many interesting things. Can we not, you know, uh, redesign our pedagogies? And I do expect, you know, that we will have many teachers actually going to the school leaders saying, well, actually, you know, I've discovered, you know, what teaching really is, which goes well beyond, you know, delivering lectures. And uh, can we not, you know, do something different in our school? So I do think there's a lot of, you know, not just technological, but also social innovation that will take hold in our education systems. Um, this generation of students has, has probably experienced one of the most difficult times in schooling in recent memory. You know, they've had to cope with a sudden change. There's been school closures. It's, it's hard to remember a time when, in recent memory when this has happened. At the same time, that generation also happens to be one of the most unique in that they're connected more than ever before. They have all these new technologies at their, disposable, at their disposal. So they're in a very unique situation. And with that in mind, I, I was wanting to ask Roberto, in, in your opinion, and with the lessons of COVID-19 in mind, what kind of schooling would most benefit the children of this generation and the next? Well, well, even before the pandemic, uh, we had this huge disconnect between what young people were being taught in schools and what is required you know, in the dynamic labor market that is rapidly transforming due to digitalization, technological change, and automation. Now, COVID is basically accelerating this process of reimagining education and accelerating the timeline and the urgency for that. Now, modernized education, of course, unlocks opportunities also for decent work and livelihoods. But young people and teachers and community cannot do this alone. This is a call for governments to step up their efforts and make vocational education and vocational qualifications more attractive to young people. Um, securing, uh, shielding uh, public finances for education at the time of fiscal constraints and fiscal tightening due to the economic impact. But what is important is also the possibility, the fact that the, the schools will need to leverage technology and innovation effectively and do in a way that, again, bridges inequality, not uh, uh, augment them. And this is, this is our key concern in, in UNICEF in Generation Unlimited to ensure that uh, we are not leaving any young person behind in a process where there are tremendous opportunity linked to, to innovation, but at the same time, a divide that risks to, to widen. And this means that we need to strengthen basically infrastructure like internet connectivity, strengthening education system, ed tech, uh, but this cannot replace teachers. Uh, we need to ensure that uh, uh, we have safe use of the technology. This is also a different part of this conversation. While we are investing massively in innovation for education, the safety uh, and the protection of, of children and young people, it is extremely important. A second point is to pay attention to the wide range of skills young people need to break cycles of intergenerational poverty. I mean, it's all about really intercepting and embedding those critical skills in the way we are imagining education. And, and I know that this is an important topic for, for today's conversation, but we need to really focus on global citizenship skills as an example. Innovation and creativity skills, technology skills, interpersonal skills, personalized and self-paced learning, but also accessible and inclusive learning, problem 
solving, collaborative learning, and lifelong and student-driven learning. These are some of example of the skills that we need, we really see at the core of this uh, process of reimagining also uh, schooling. And then the last point that I wanted to make is also related to the fact that uh, the pandemic has also certainly changed the notion of traditional teacher pupil uh, relationship and we want also to imagine also teachers to to be uh, uh, thought and imagine in a different ways My, many students are just a few clicks away to gaining access to a lot of information but in the long run this means that the role of teacher will gradually shift from being a lecturer towards that of being a facilitator a mentor a mentor and also improving the learning experience and the outcome for for young people wendy uh, roberto mentioned skills that are there any skills that have come to the fore during the coronavirus crisis as things that we have neglected before and skills that, that should really have new emphasis in the kind of, to use the phrase, new normal? Mm. You know, I think what we've seen is that the students who, who have ownership for their education, um, you know, who have a growth mindset, like those are the students who you know, who have the agency to, to find a way to keep learning, even if, if they're in very challenging circumstances. Um, we've seen firsthand the importance of social and emotional health, you know. So I think in this era, the kind of collective awareness among everyone from parents to the students themselves to, to educators about the importance of the kind of broad set of outcomes um, that we've, we talk about in education, but maybe haven't fully embraced and put at the center of our work has become just all the more, I think it's just become all the more clear to everyone how important it is. And, and clearly, as we think about the uncertainty of the world right now, um, it's just so clear that that building those skills, like the sense of agency, um, the proficiencies, the kind of mindsets and such um, necessary to, to, you know, navigate the world and, and, and ultimately shape a better future. I mean, it, it, I feel like it, it's so much on display, just the urgent need to step back and really come together really come together around a shared vision for kind of the purpose of education and, and what we're working towards. I mean, that, this is actually probably the biggest thing on, on my mind and on many of my colleagues' mind across the Teach for All network right now is how do we make sure that when we do come back, we're coming back to a new kind of understanding of what we're working towards for kids. So a lot of what we've been talking about is, is about the future of education, what COVID-19 has done to accelerate some of the changes. If you'll indulge me for just a little second, I want to ask, this is an open question. Let's say that suddenly all governments, all infrastructure, all actors were, were open to, completely open to change, far more open to change than they are now. And it was up to you to design the school of the future. And again, with the COVID-19 lessons in mind, you're, you're going to des design the school of the future what does that school look like? How is it different? And how has COVID-19 kind of brought that about? Andreas, maybe you want to answer first. Uh, you know, maybe the school of the future will be less of a school. And, you know, I think we have designed our current institutions too much around the interests and needs of adults and too much around the needs of the industrial paradigm. 
you know, where we provide young people with prefabricated wisdom. Uh, the school of the future probably is more a place, an environment of learning where, and, and perhaps even, you know, of learners of all ages where we build that, you know, love to learn and the, uh, of, of young people to learn to build uh, their, their trajectories throughout their lives, uh, where we think about the kind of relationships that uh, young people need to grow up uh, uh, and the support they need, uh, where we rethink the role of teachers in the same way, and um, where you know schools currently are very good in keeping students inside and the rest of the world outside. Maybe the school of the future is one that builds much stronger connections, uh, giving young people of all social backgrounds a much better sense of what the world is looking like and, and, and uh, what the opportunities are. I mean, that's one of the big difficulties that many young people have today, particularly those from disadvantage. They do not have uh, the opportunity to see the world and therefore to, to be motivated to uh, learn the kind of things that will matter most. Uh, the school of the future also will probably, you know, not just think about the how, the pedagogies, the methods, the technologies, the places, but also think more carefully about the what, teaching perhaps fewer things at greater depths. Now, in a way, our school systems have become a mile wide, but just an inch deep. We teach so many things at so shallow and superficial level of depths. And uh, I think the school of the future probably will engage more in building ways of thinking, ways of walking, so that students have very, very strong foundations on which they then can build the knowledge throughout their learning uh, trajectories. You know, uh, being imaginative, being creative, building things of intrinsic positive first, being able to navigate ambiguity, man managing tensions and dilemmas, resolving and managing conflicts, being able to mobilize their cognitive, social, and emotional resources to do something in this world. I mean, this sense of agency really is probably at the heart of the school of the future. And when we you know, have that idea, we should think carefully what kind of learning environments need do we need to facilitate this? How do we uh, develop the people? who actually can manage this? Uh, what are the right institutions that can uh, facilitate this? But I, I really hope that uh, we start out from the learner and how young people uh, develop rather than you know thinking about what the school is going to look like and the institutions. I think we have done that uh, for too long. Roberto, what do you think? Oh, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I'd like to build on what Andrea just said, saying that the way I, I imagine the school of the, uh, the future is uh, with global citizenship skill at, at the core, a school that is an open environment, that is permeable, that exposes uh, children and, and, and young people, students, to what is a dynamic uh, a connection to the reality around that, which is not just the reality of the of the labor market, and we know how much is important this connection with private sector, this gradual and progressive and dynamic introduction to be productive in life, but most importantly, a, a school that connects uh, uh, students to what is their global citizenship role, and and that comes with managing complexity, managing conflicts, managing diversity, accepting accepting the unknown, uh, and accepting a time in history that will be increasingly unstable and unpredictable. Um, and this uh, the positively disruptive element of the school of the future is very important to, to defy also uh, just a linear path of, uh, of introduction of student into adult life. I mean, the school of the future will be extremely nonlinear, and, and we hope it will be in the way it can positively ch 
challenge students to create a bond of responsibility, of personal commitment to their community that can be physical, can be virtual, where they have a protagonist role, where they see themselves also part of a process of giving back and, and giving and, and sharing with, with, with others uh, their, their talents. And this is, has a lot to see with having social uh, emotional skills at the core of, uh, of the school of the future. So this is important because uh, this uh, uncertainty will, will continue and we all know that. And what is very important is when you help prepare young people to navigate this complexity and be able to accept it as, a, as an element of opportunity creativity as not uh, as an element of fear and, and insecurity. Wendy, your turn. Yeah, I mean, so much in sync with what Roberto and, and Andreas have shared. I would, I would just add that first. I think the school of the future will will have a different purpose than um, than the purpose that has has driven education systems until now. I mean, I think we'll and hope that we will recognize that you know what happens in our classrooms today is completely predictive of the world we'll have tomorrow um, and embrace a purpose around developing students as leaders who can work together to shape a better future for themselves and all of us. Um, I, I think based on from what we've seen across the Teach for All network that we'll come to see that to fulfill that purpose will require the adults in the system to unlearn a lot of things and to learn a new way of, of teaching. Um, because of course, all of us adults were brought up in a different system and have sort of internalized a certain way of operating. And, and in essence, what we've realized is that if we're going to grow students as leaders, we need to develop our teachers as leaders. There needs to be just so much kind of parallelism throughout the, the system. Um, we've done a number of studies to look at what it is that differentiates teachers who, who are developing their students' sense of agency, their awareness of, of the world, their dispositions, these broader outcomes that we know are critical. And, and they operate very differently. Um, they put relationships at the center. They develop strong relationships with students and families and a, a sense of community. Um, they envision success together with students and families. They hold space to foster an inclusive culture. They facilitate learning instead of, you know, being the sharer of all knowledge. Um, and we've also found that these teachers have different mindsets, that they have um, developed a way of just a self-awareness about the ways in which their mindsets might hold them back and, and, and other mindsets that could facilitate that way of operating. Um, so I, I hope and, and believe that we can can get there and that it all starts with with really stepping back to consider um, together with families, students, communities, um, and a diverse set of actors um, what our ultimate purpose in, in education is. Well, I think that's just about all we have time for. I mean, these are topics that we could talk for hours about, but unfortunately, we have a little limited time. Thank you very much, Roberto, Andreas, and Wendy for joining. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the OECD's work on coronavirus, head to our coronavirus hub at oecd.org forward slash coronavirus. 
And if you'd like to keep up to date on our work on education in particular, go to oecd.org forward slash education or follow us on Twitter at OECD EduSkills. Thanks again and until next time.